I'm David Hollywood. And I'm John Daly. And this is the Driving Line F1 podcast. Coming up on the show, we look forward to the final Grand Prix of the season. The championships may be done and dusted, but we're hopeful for a good race itself. And we have plenty to say about the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix itself. And we will be looking back over one of the more exciting years uh, of its existence on the Formula One calendar. John, it's been here since 2009. Can you please give us the vital statistics for this Grand Prix? Only too happy to, David. The Abu Dhabi Grand Prix has been held nine times, first held in 2009. The driver with the most wins here is tied between Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton at three apiece. Feels oddly appropriate, doesn't it? The most wins from any constructor is Mercedes at four. The circuit length is 3.4 miles or 5.5 kilometers, if you're a little bit more sane. i got to stop making that joke about metric versus imperial. <laughs> and that constitutes 55 laps. Dave, please help me out here. Give us what happened here last year and maybe delve into a bit in 2010. Why deviate from the classics if if uh, if they're that good? I mean, I don't know why you didn't say most winningest. This most the, the driver with the most wins just sounds wrong. I certainly don't approve of it. Uh, yeah, last year, Valtteri Bottas, I suppose he had a he had a race that he really needed to have, didn't he? We all thought that this would set him up perfectly for a quality season in 2018. Oh, how wrong were we? He got pole position, he won the race. Lewis Hamilton was a handy second and Sebastian Vettel finished in an underwhelming third. And Valtteri Bottas got the fastest lap and again, it was a Mercedes benefit event, which tends to happen at these Grand Prix most lately with the new regs. Before we move on to one of the more historic, exciting and interesting Grand Prix of its existence, John, we glossed over it again. Uh, what do you make of the Grand Prix itself? The track, its location, the whole idea and package of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix? Well, you threw in a caveat there at the end, which makes it far more difficult to to answer the whole package of the, the thing. I think the track is great. Um, could do with making it just a tiny, tiny bit easier to overtake in certain places. But but on balance, like compared to the rest of the calendar, it's a really, really good track. I love it. The beauty of the the layout, particularly the building. I still really should learn the name of the building. But as you go through sector three, there's this a a building that has a bridge that goes over the the track. And what they do is light it up uh, in a multicolored fashion. Um, it's just absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. Love that section of the track. And the, the track itself is really conducive to good racing by and large. Um, so, yeah, I really like that. There are other aspects of it that I don't maybe enjoy so much that we'll get onto in a while. But, um, yeah, I imagine you're quite quite similar in, in that regard. The track is just so stunning. I like the track. I don't like it as much as you do. And that building you're trying to remember, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a hotel. I'll tell you that much. The setting visually is very striking and enjoyable. And yeah, it's if it was a daytime race and it was in the middle of the calendar, I think we would be dreading it year in, year out to a degree. 
you know what's hanging in the air here is is the the, the sense of foreboding as we're about to say like <laughs> regime wise is it really appropriate to be like you know endorsing this stuff and look we've been there before and we've had it back and forth with certain listeners about what we said about the American Grand Prix and I know people might object to what we said about the Russian Grand Prix and some people might be very supportive of what we said about those two things. It's just how we feel. It's not like entirely, it's not implacably researched and delved into, but we're massive fans of Formula One first and foremost. And there is just a sense that we are going places regularly that make you pause for thought. Now, John, sport washing, obviously we've talked about on this show but at this point, like it's, we're saying it every second episode to a certain degree. So at some point, you just have to say, if it's a world championship, you're going to be watching your races in questionable places. And unless you want it to not be a world championship and you want it to be something smaller and lesser than that, then these are the compromises you have to make. In a certain sense, yes. And in a certain sense, I think there's probably a strong cultural influence here where the two of us are very much inclined to bring into question uh, the what we see and what we perceive as the less savory aspects of particular regimes. But I think that's one of the strengths that we have, that we can bring that up. And ultimately, it's our podcast that we talk about our opinions on things. We do that all the time to do with Formula One. We're within our rights to do that with regards to the, the countries that we go to as well. And yeah, there's certainly very questionable aspects to that entire Middle Eastern region, each one of the countries that are there, you can kind of pick holes in uh, how things are done and how things are run. But ultimately, this track, when it was first uh, first raced out in 2009, took place kind of towards the end, but not at the end of the season. And then very quickly, suddenly it became the last race of the season. I think there's a very obvious reason that that happened, that money changed hands and it was desired to be at the end of the season because people remember that race far more fondly. And so why is that done is because it gives a greater impact to the tourism benefits to the country. And it just is commercially beneficial to the to the country. And we talk about this type of thing all the time in the sport. And it's something that should be addressed just because someone's politically maneuvering and getting a benefit from it. I think they should be called out in it and they're not called out often enough because too many media outlets have commercial interests. <laughs> That's just something we don't have. So we're well within our rights to call out what we see as incorrect. And we may be incorrect when we do it, but we're engaging in that regard. Yeah, that's a fair point, well made, ultimately. And I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely satisfied with the concept of just holding your sport to account for the places it goes to and for falling victim to, particularly whatever about having a Grand Prix there, but, but deciding to give it that pride of place. I kind of feel like the season opener... And the, the concluding race shouldn't go to the highest bidder. There should be a more, and it, it's an inevitability that it will go to the highest bidder in a capitalist, commercially focused environment and, and world and globalized world. But it would be great if we had a guarantee that the best races only would host the the arguably two most, how would you put it, most important? No. But certainly the, the ones that can end up with the most eyes on it regularly, Yes. And I think all eyes would have been on Abu Dhabi in 2010. We've mentioned this at race before on the show because it was this the very first occasion that four drivers entered into the final race of the season with an opportunity to win the World Championship, the Drivers' World Championship. And John, 
we really expected to get to the this point in the season with Hamilton and Vettel and Vettel within twenty five points of each other, and we expected it at many points last year. And we, for all the reasons that we've mentioned over the course of time, it has not happened. Can you imagine the mind boggling nature of going into the final race this this Grand Prix this weekend? with four drivers on the grid able to win the championship. It, it, it is a head-scratcher from modern-day Formula 1, if you can call 2010 not modern-day. I mean, I did have the treat of the 2012 conclusion as kind of my intro to the end of the season for Formula 1. That was great. But I do feel a little bit jealous uh, that I didn't get to experience this as it happened, that I wasn't watching the sport actively when this happened. That's that's incredible. That's incredible. And I by the way, I just still can't believe how sewn up this season was when we got down to it. That's crazy. But yeah, I mean, imagine the excitement was just utterly palpable. I'd be on the edge of my seat the entire time. So we may well remember the championship duel between uh, Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg, where Nico Rosberg needed more than a race win. He needed Lewis Hamilton to not finish second, possibly not even third, but certainly not second. So he backed Hamilton into the field in a season when the rest of the field weren't competitive with Mercedes at all. So that was just a treat because we thought, oh, there could be a race here. And just so tense and, you know, exciting, ultimately. A bit of controversy between the two drivers. And there was no lacking of controversy between Mark Webber and Sebastian Vettel. And the two teammates were battling, battling it out for the World Championship. They just happened to be joined by Alonso in a Ferrari and Hamilton in a McLaren. Just a nice, potent mix of ridiculous, ludicrous, just talent and rivalry and uh, combustible characters. Um, really, Lewis Hamilton wasn't in the best of positions. He was 24 points off the leader going into this uh, race, Fernando Alonso. So he's basically out of the running. It's kind of a stretch, isn't it, to say that um, Lewis Hamilton was in the running for this championship. Uh, he would have had to have won with Alonso to get a DNF, essentially. And Mark Webber was second in the championship and Sebastian Vettel was third. 238 points was what Mark Webber was on. 231 was Sebastian Vettel. Alonso led the way on 246. So not an insignificant lead for Fernando Alonso going into this champion, uh, championship defining race, this era defining race, his first season for Ferrari. Can you imagine how his Ferrari career may have gone had he won the championship this very first season? Could be very different today when you think about it. And ultimately, Mark Webber and Fernando Alonso vitally had poor races that uh, saw them finish off the podium and away ultimately from winning the championship. Sebastian Vettel, well, he, he he did what he does best. He led from the front. He got pole position and he saw it out. And he just drove a flawless race, the youngest ever world champion as a consequence. Um, elsewhere, Michael Schumacher. It's one of the Michael Schumacher races, sadly, where he spun out on the opening lap and uh, Antonio Luizzi just ploughed into him and... That caused a, a major incident. Um, and then a host of drivers pitted on lap one as a consequence of the debris cleanup from that crash, including uh, Vitaly Petrov, crucially, who became a factor in the championship as that was the car that Fernando Alonso got stuck behind for the duration of the Grand Prix on the second stint of the Grand Prix anyway. And Alonso knowing that his championship challenge was just driving away from him. So it was kind of a damp squib for the championship battle in the sense that 
Lewis Hamilton finished second and he needed to win to have a chance, so he was gone. Sebastian Vettel wasn't really challenged, so he won and it that was that. Alonso couldn't get up there, so there's the drama. Weber kind of seemed to damage a tyre by glancing a barrier. I'll let you talk soon, John, sorry. Uh, by, by glancing a barrier, and he had to stop early and that maybe compromised his race. He didn't get anywhere near the podium or get the requisite points. And Vettel, despite just his race win and Alonso finishing in the middle of the points, only won the championship by four points. So, John... I don't know. I'm, I'm just telling you to imagine something I've described to you. It's not really um, a great conversation starter, but there's there's some interesting points in there, I suppose. There's loads, there's loads of interesting points in there. I'm, uh, I, I can't comment very much considering I just established I wasn't watching the race or the, the sport actively at the time. But um, it is kind of always disappointing when those, um, you know, imagine yourself as a pundit just before the race goes off. Oh my God, four drivers could win the world championship. The most exciting race we've ever had as the conclusion of the, the, the season. And then to end up being kind of rote in a certain way, once you get into the second stint and you see things as they're playing out, you're like, oh, okay, Weber's out. Alonso's not really going to challenge. Vettel's in the lead, just sitting out the last 20 laps. That's really like typifies the sport, doesn't it? Like that's kind of a lot of the time what it ends up being is that it's, insufferably exciting for a time and then it settles into this pattern where it's fairly predictable until the next mad thing happens. That's that's kind of how the sport goes. Well, by the very nature of the word you used there, it has to because if you say it's insufferably exciting, then we just could not take any more concentrated excitement. It does need to dial down to the point of deathly boredom to be appropriately digestible, I suppose. Um, yeah, so... Having just checked there, because I couldn't remember exactly, Alonso finished seventh and Weber finished eighth. You know, like, if you look back over that season, I mean, how many races did Alonso finish outside the top three? You know, just what a race to do it at. And to even be a three-time world championship, you just know for him and his ego and everything, it would have been enormous to have won it with, with Ferrari and all of that type of thing. And they never gave him a car after the season. They could have done it. And he said, in terms of the bad strategy that got him picked, uh, stuck behind Vitaly Petrov. And he said, after the race, it is always very easy to see the best strategy. And as I said, now you need to cover from someone. And if we didn't stop, I think Weber probably would have overtaken us. If we stopped, we cover from Weber, but let Petrov and Rosberg in front. So it's a very difficult call, I think. It's obviously a tough race. I lost a position at the start. And then when the first safety car came out, Petrov and Rosberg came in. So... We saw some problems with the soft tyres. Weber pitted and then we tried to cover from him. When you cover someone, probably you give something away to the other. So it was a choice between covering or sticking it out. Uh, the Renault was very quick on top speed. This is Vitaly Petrov's car. So it was a frustrating race behind him. John, there is a novel concept. The Renault is very quick on top speed. Certainly a different era in that respect. The V8s. The V8 Screamers is what they were at the time. And that was the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix of 2010. Uh, hopes for an exciting race, John? Or do you think maybe not so much? What do you reckon this year's edition? Well, this year's edition, we've talked about this once or twice before. At, at least like half of the excitement of the race comes from the conclusion, the race winner, the overarching influence of all of that. So I think unquestionably 
the excitement of the races is dampened a little bit by the fact that the driver and constructors championship are sealed up but that gives everyone free license just to go ham you got a Raikkonen that's able to go ham you got a Bottas that can go ham you got the Red Bulls who are always going to go ham anyway so uh yeah i am i'm cautiously optimistic of a of an exciting race cool i'm not actually i'm, I'm gonna put, put it out there and say this would be a bad race i don't speak bad of formula one nearly ever but i'm putting it down speaking of putting it down i managed to put john down semi-permanently when it came to the predictions game let's see if i could finish the job we're going to predict the abu dhabi grand prix next and we'll find out what happened with our brazilian predictions that nobody heard. And out goes Pipe. My goodness, he's furious. And take back. Oh my goodness. So, John, let's explain to the listener as to why, and I know they were worried about this, as to why the preview of the Brazilian Grand Prix did not pop up in the podcast feeds. Ultimately, we had technical recording issues, which meant there was no podcast to put there. And the uh, long and short of it is that um, you mightn't have heard it, but we predicted everything that was going to happen, and it was very good. We'll just leave it at that. No, what obviously we need to address is the predictions. And having checked our notes, it's clear that nothing is clear here. This is really interesting. I had first pick. I went with Sebastian Vettel to win the Brazilian Grand Prix. He absolutely did not do that. My best of the rest pick, who would win that kind of like Formula 1.5 or whatever it's being called these days, I went for Charles Leclerc. My God, did he do it ever. And then your best of the rest pick was... Esteban Bloody Ocon, the the one race ruining man to totally give your race win pick the race win, rigging this or something. So what do we do with this? This is really interesting. And bear in mind, the context is that if John doesn't win this point, I win the predictions championship for the whole season. So, you know, hope you can find it in your in your in your mind, in your heart to give us an objective evaluation of what happened at the Brazilian Grand Prix vis-a-vis our picks. Well, I don't think I've ever been handed a microphone under more loaded circumstances. <laughs> I mean, Charles Leclerc just drove out absolutely out of his skin, out-qualified by his teammate, and then his teammate ended up absolutely nowhere. Really, just an incredible drive from Leclerc. Sebastian Vettel, on the face of it, was a really, really poor drive, but it was pretty strongly mitigated against by the fact that, I mean, it was pretty clear when he was ordered to swap with Raikkonen that he had, had, had some sort of problem. <laughs> I'm sorry, Raikkonen, I love you, but he's faster. And, and you know, Hamilton was handed the win, did did a good job. Neither of us had Verstappen, so that's, that's a bit out there, but Hamilton did, he crossed his T's and dotted his I's, I suppose, which is exactly what he's supposed to do. Esteban Ocon, man, you're not doing me any favours here. Like, every time I do this with Force India, I name one or the other, and then whichever one I pick just has a disaster compared to his teammate. And they're both relatively consistently good, so I just have absolutely atrocious luck. So let, let, let's break it down here. I think Hamilton pretty clearly wins the uh, winning the race prediction because he literally won the race. Vettel finishing very far behind him. And then the Leclerc Ocon thing, it's kinda of hard to parse. So we we try to we try to talk about how how do we do this? Like how do we weight each of these things? And I think we're we're in agreement that the race win is more important, but the midfield prediction has weight. Where exactly that weight lies, we're not exactly sure. It's a bit ad hoc and how we feel about things. I, like Leclerc really beat the pants off Ocon, I think that's very clear. Hamilton strongly beat Vettel 
you got to account for the the issue with the engine that Vettel had. So, geez, it's like remarkably close considering I literally named the winner of the race and you named the man who finished sixth. But when you take it all into consideration and balance, I do I do think it's quite close. Do you have um, do you have more to, to contribute than I am? Because I just like hedged the whole way here, especially because it's my championship that's on the line. You clearly took the instructions of being objective far too seriously there. You couldn't actually give me a response, ultimately. <laughs> yeah, so I do have some thoughts on this. Firstly, I would say that Esteban Ocon's drive wasn't a bad drive until it became a very bad drive. He finished P14 uh, with a 10-second stop-go penalty and having been spun around. So he was racing for points when he got into that incident with Max Verstappen and his teammate finished P10. So he was he was going for that final point or two. And then that stuff happened, so he had a terrible Grand Prix. <laughs> Ultimately, no question about that. Sebastian Vettel drove well enough, but we don't know how well he was going to drive in that race. It's like he didn't get to do the race. He finished sixth. He finished nearly 30 seconds off the race lead. And Lewis Hamilton, for want of a better car, you have to remember his teammate also finished twenty over 20 seconds behind him. We don't know how much Vettel may have beaten Raikkonen by had he had the advantage of a normal car. Not the advantage of a normal car, but the non-disadvantage of one. You kind of feel like he would have been up there in the mix, but you don't know. And I think the fact that Hamilton stuffs his teammate, he wins the race, he picks up the pieces, he doesn't make any mistakes, and he gets pole position. I think that's an important consideration. Charles Leclerc got out-qualified by Marcus Ericsson. Esteban Ocon got narrowly out-qualified by Sergio Perez. It's the closest one we've had all season. Before I just tell you my decision, can you remember a closer Grand Prix to come up with in terms of the, the predictions? For our predictions, absolutely not. And it, I'm glad you brought up qualifying, actually. I'm, it, it would be remiss of me not to talk about it at all. Sauber really strongly, both of the Saubers really strongly out-qualified the Force Indias. That's something I think we probably should like consider as well. But yeah, the fact that Hamilton really stuffs Bottas is uh, is is a pretty big indicator there as well, especially if he had a, a bit of a dodgy engine. So I can't believe that we just had the most close predictions game that we've ever had and none of our listeners heard it. Yeah, I'm far less enthused about this whole concept in general on the basis that I'm going to have to bite the particular bullet here and give you the point, give you the opportunity to draw level with me in Abu Dhabi. As in, you're going to go to Abu Dhabi and try draw level with me. I'll just watch it here. Yeah, well done. Okay, so it's uh, your one-off. Your one-off. You squeaked it. You squeaked this Grand Prix, I think. You've got the advantage going into the final race of the season as well. So rather aggravatingly, the ball is very much in your court. Fantastic. It sounds like that was very much like the case when we just went go-karting at the weekend when I just pipped it. I still have the trophy from the previous karting experience. And secondly, I got pole position at our last karting experience. Fastest lap, definitely, by miles. And then I got given a bogey kart with terrible steering and was suddenly three seconds a lap slower than you. How did I get pole position and then be three seconds a lap slower than you? That's not even being salty. That's a genuine question. Track evolution, and I learned the track, obviously. I, I, I digress and I'm lying, of course. You uh, unfortunately had a, a slower cart. And I really wish we could have got footage of that, actually, because I did drive into you basically at full pelt after you had crashed. <laughs> oh, if you could have seen both of our faces during that, it was hilarious. 
Anyway, Dave, we've been on a very long tangent here. We you do are have bloody tangents. <laughs> I'm making a show here. <laughs> we do have a very important game to play. The most important game. It's for me to draw level and not concede a season, which would be wonderful. And I do believe I have first pick. Actually, you uh, you took the honor last time, so we change this format every single time. So I'm gonna I'm gonna build it up. I'm gonna start with my midfield pick. I think this is a it's a good mix of of types of tracks, but downforce is pretty important here, particularly through that like middle and end section. It's a very important aspect of the track. So I mean that kind of rules out Haas in my eyes, although there were ones that I wanted to eye up. Toro Rosso just don't seem to be predictable at all these days, so I would hedge my bets and not go with them. My midfield pick is going to be one of our favourites. It's gonna be it's gonna be a Renault powered engine, which is a bit risky, but they got a good package. I think Nico Hulkenberg is gonna is gonna be my midfield man. Dave, who are you going with? And what do you think of my Hulkenberg pick? You have a you have a face in you that says he's one of your two choices. You couldn't read me for your life. That being said, I had so many names written down. It's it's actually shocking. It <laughs> wasn't one of them. Do you know what though? It really wasn't one of my choices. I thought, no, not Renault. Um, I'm delighted. I'm genuinely delighted you went with Holkenberg because, regardless of reacting to your pick, which I'll do so in a second, I'm going for Charles Leclerc immediately. Like <laughs> he's just such prime choosing material. He his return on prediction investment is by far the best on the grid. I think. So yes, Charles Leclerc for the win. Because I had some crazy, crazy decisions to make if it wasn't going to be him. Because it is—it's a hard one to pick, as you say. The midfield teams, some of them, I was yeah, I struggle with the concept of Haas and downforce and the twisty sections and Renault. You would then kind of pivot towards as being a downforce yeah. concept car. And I just saw a worrying headline from Hulkenberger Science during or after the Brazilian Grand Prix because, you know, they had such a positive experience in Mexico. They were like, it's almost like all our problems have come back again after Mexico. That was the line that I saw from the Brazilian Grand Prix. And I thought, right, I'll be leaving them alone, leaving them well alone. And in fairness, Carlos Sainz finished out of the points in Brazil and Nico Hulkenberg didn't get a chance to do so after retiring on the 32nd lap for an overheating engine, Renault engine or system of some sort. All that being said, I do think that to drive that car around Abu Dhabi, it's probably, I would have thought it's the best or second best midfield car around Abu Dhabi. At this point, I can't say necessarily do I think Sauber have a weakness on the track. I thought downforce was their problem. I think they performed at enough tracks across the board by this stage to kind of say it's got really good downforce it's got a brand new Ferrari engine in it there's nothing really wrong with that car full yeah. stop so Hulkenberg can produce a drive on, on any given day no question so there's always that to consider and just like we saw <laughs> with Ocon in the last Grand Prix safe pair of hands my elbow you know, you never know what can happen to Leclerc in his final race of the season maybe he'll have a lapse of judgement he did just get out qualified by Marcus Ericsson which is never a great indicator. Go on. What you reckon of them? What I reckon of them is I immediately regret not picking Charles Leclerc, to be totally honest. Yeah, I just... I kind of, I kind of overlooked him madly. How could I not consider Charles Leclerc? Yeah, okay. We, we pick him an awful lot. I think one or the other of us have picked him for probably about 12 of the last 15 races, I'd say. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, always, always a good pick. Certainly a good pick around here. Absolutely can't fault your logic. <laughs> Instantly faulting my logic. <laughs> I put my put my eggs in a Renault basket. <laughs> Basket's gonna break down before it gets to the start finish line. It's useful as a chocolate fire guard. <laughs> right. We both digress at this point. Let's go with uh, with our winner of the race, which for me is a good bit easier. Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton is very clearly going to be my race winner pick. I think he's a standout guy to pick here. I do think Ferrari will be competitive. I just don't think that they're going to manage to eclipse Mercedes. Mercedes, the team who have been very dominant here for a long, long time. They just perform well here. I have no reason to think that they're going to do anything else. So... Do you, have, uh, do, you, do you agree with me? Do you, are you going to shoe in a Vettel picker if you got like a mad Ricardo in there or something? First and foremost, I agree with you and that would be my first pick. I think that's always the important thing to acknowledge with the race win picks is like we are so often agreed on actually what our expectation of the outcome of a race is, but we are forced into going a different direction based on whose turn it is and you'd go for Hamilton certainly. Then it comes down to a question of three things. It's actually quite interesting. You have 2018 form this is for alternate picks regarding uh, versus Lewis Hamilton. 2018 form, Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari. Course form, Valtteri Bottas last season. Recent form, Red Bull, Max Verstappen. There's a case to be made for the usual three alternatives. Like, this is what you were saying. It's, you checked yourself when you wrote Red Bull off there. You're like, oh, well, Brazil's in long uphill straight. How do they survive that and like be so fast? And then you look at Bottas, you know, whilst he hasn't won a race this season, he's still gone well at the tracks he went well at last year. He should have won Baku this year and he was good there last year. He was good at Austria and he was good uh, at the Russian Grand Prix once again. So he'll probably be quite good here. Mercedes are unbelievable here. They've won every Grand Prix at this track since the new engine regs. How do you oppose a Mercedes team? So, like that, those are the, the that's the dilemma of all the decisions. And I have no faith in Ferrari at this track. Whatever about twenty eighteen form and like look at twenty seventeen form, they had a lot of that and they got pasted at this track. And they do every season, so they're not getting my pick. Vettel's not getting my pick, and ultimately Bottas, I wouldn't back him in a race situation. Do you know what I mean? Like going for the race win, which is what I got to go for. Wheel to wheel, I give probably all five of the other drivers the advantage in that encounter he just may have a fast car they mightn't be good enough so it's for Stappen that's that's what I'm going for doing exactly what you were like jokingly referring to I didn't go for Ricardo. I'm not mad but I'm obviously mad there's at least a tinge of mad in there yeah like they, they do have the, pa- the, the the aerodynamic package for this track it is pretty aero intensive of the on the balance of the things it's i think it leans in the aero side of things i don't think it leans strongly on it though i think the power is still a very important facet of this track and i think they're really going to suffer with that now i mean hulkerberg retiring with an overheating engine last race that stands to their benefit with the time of the day that this race is going to take place and maybe overheating is going to be a bit less of an issue and we see that time and time again when that's less of an issue for red bull that really does play into their hands so i mean there's that at play there's also the issue of mercedes temperature they're just so sensitive to temperature. The tires do mad stuff for them in particular when the temperature goes wrong for them. So if it is a little bit too cool, they can't get the tire the, the temperature into the tires. 
you know, that could countenance their performance. So I, I want to say on balance, I wouldn't have made the decision you make. But when I really walk myself through it, if I put myself in your shoes, knowing that you would pick Hamilton and what would I pick? It's not a stretch at all to be picking Verstappen. I think I probably would just barely side with Vettel, but Verstappen would be a pretty close second for me. Yeah, and, I, you know, I can't fault going for Vettel as the alternative ultimately because he's been the best alternative for the season. But Ferrari are terrible here. Watch them be terrible here. I'm telling you, they're going to be rubbish. I just know it. I just know they're going to get beaten by Red Bull. I don't know that they're going to get re- beaten by Red Bull. I just know they're going to get beaten so badly by Hamilton. It's not worth looking at them to a certain degree. The interesting thing about your choice is that you've skirted over the danger or the likelihood that Hamilton's taking grid penalties or is running a very about to blow up engine. Mm-hmm. So that'd be interesting. Yeah, and I'd just like to emphasize how I am now hoping Valtteri Bottas does not have a good Grand Prix after avoiding him as such. But yeah, I just don't see it happening. And finally, final, final, final point. I just saw a line on a screen in front of me. This was the venue of Robert Kubitz's last ever Grand Prix. Yeah, he had that terrible rally crash after the season-ending 2010 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, which we've talked so extensively about there. And he's still in that rumour mill, maybe getting that drive at Williams. We'll have to wait and see. So, John, since... It is indeed your privilege of the pick and you're desperately trying to claw your way back in. Remind us what they are, the picks, going into the final Grand Prix of the season. We didn't get the season decider in the real championship. By golly, do we have a season decider in this one. It's going to be you drawing the championship with me or me actually winning it. Double points. (laughs) I'm sure the listeners at home are on the edge of their seats. Who cares about the driver championship and the constructors championship? The real championship is taking place right here. So, it's going to be Nico Hulkenberg versus Charles Leclerc, which I instantly regret. God, I really hope Hamilton doesn't have like a so-so race and then we have to decide it on the midfield pick because I think I'm boned. Our race winners are going to be Lewis Hamilton versus Max Verstappen, which I'm feeling a bit more confident about in, in fairness. So, it's going to be a good decider. I tell you what, it's been some season as well. And uh, next time you'll be hearing from us, we're, we're going to be reviewing the entire season. How cool is that? That's going to be one of those evergreen episodes where we'll just be, a, you know, be able to go back and historically listen back to that type of thing. We do notice people tend to pick up on these things uh, consistently throughout the following year. It's like, oh, I wonder kind of what was the picture of 2017? And it's there in your podcast feeds if you want to listen to our 2017 season review. Or if you want to sound like, uh, if you want to hear two people sound like morons, listen to our season preview for this season and what we expected and thought would happen. Maybe it was just me. Yeah, so we will be reviewing the whole season on our next review episode. We'll obviously review the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. We very much hope you enjoy it. We have thoroughly enjoyed making the show so far this season. By all means, if you want to get in touch with the show, we are at The Driving Line F1 Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and we are at The Driving Line on Twitter, and it's motormediaireland at gmail.com for the emails. But for the moment, that's all we have time for. So from myself, David Hollywood. And from me, John Daly. The season is nearly in the can. Sebastian Vettel can do no more. The championship is gone. That's because Lewis Hamilton has hit the records. The likes of Fangio and Schumacher only have gotten. All that's left now is to find out who's the best at predicting what happens in these races in a room somewhere in Dublin or County Louth. 
Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. His engine has blown and his chances of winning the Malaysia Grand Prix with it. Oh no, no! Let me Pepe, my goodness, he's furious. And take back, oh my goodness.